right, well, good morning. Uh, it is a pleasure to stand before you guys. Uh, it's it's kind of cool that she, uh, that was the last song we sung because uh, it has so many, like, Hebrew words in it. And uh, my sermon is actually from my, uh, my, my Hebrew paper that I had to, to uh, do this last semester in order to pass the class. Uh, dealing with Micah 6, 8, and, uh, and I'm pretty good with um, the pronunciation of the words. Uh, sometimes it takes me, like, I take my time as I read in the class when I'm called on, and uh, the professor tell me, you know, you did a good job, but if you was in a Jewish synagogue, they'd get a little uneasy with you. Um, so, uh, so we'll see. I have one more class left to, uh, to graduate, and that is Hebrew 4, so um, I'm almost there, almost there. Well, thank you. Uh, I do want to thank God for this opportunity once again to uh, stand before you guys and uh, preach um, his holy word. It is a uh, joyous burden, a uh, pleasurable uh, challenge uh, but uh, it's not to be taken lightly. A lot of people, um, for some reason, think it's a popular thing to do, so they try to jump into the ministry, but um, oftentimes they have not truly uh, questioned their motives. Um, but God is with us here, and I thank uh, Patience uh, for leading us in worship. Uh, well, I do want to thank Alex and the uh, elders and, and deacons of this church. Uh, some are out of town. We're praying for safe travels as they um, are on vacation. Um, and I want to just take a quick moment to uh, thank uh, so many of you that uh, have uh, helped the Lord's and I uh, so far in our marriage. A lot of you, man, it's, it's been ridiculous how much advice and, and guidance and love you guys have shown us um, during our early stages of marriage. Be there later on, too. Um, but uh, we, we're so grateful. She, I think she's a little sick uh, right now. I say I think. She's a little sick right now. Uh, and so she may walk in, she may not, I don't know. Um, we're only up the street, so if she chooses to, it won't be that much of a problem. Um, the biggest thing that a lot of you guys constantly uh, have told us is just to communicate, and, uh, uh, and, and it's, been, it's been nice to uh, hear that, but uh, they didn't tell us that. Well, it's kind of hard to communicate when you don't feel like talking. You guys don't, you don't tell us, you didn't warn us about that. Uh, but communication has been very key, and it has, it has been what has kept us happy and going so far. Uh, I'm reminded of a couple uh, that has been married for 50 years, and um, the husband uh, told his wife, baby, after 50 years, I can honestly say that uh, in our relationship, you have been tried and true. And she couldn't hear very well at the time, and so she was trying to get her hearing aid in, and he she said, what you say? And, and he said, after 50 years, babe, uh, I can honestly say that you have been tried and true. And uh, she looked back at him and said, after 50 years, I can honestly say that I'm tired of you too. <laughs> so so uh, communication is very, very key. Uh, thank you for your support. Uh, let's go. Let's read uh, our passage for today. Before we get to Micah 6, I want to read a couple of his um more than likely buddies, uh, he definitely knew Isaiah, um, and they preached actually very similar message, basically the same message. Uh, 
uh, Isaiah, of course, wrote a little bit more than he did. Uh, but a couple more of his buddies that uh, he more than likely knew and hung out with. Uh, let's look at, first let's look at Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. This is God speaking through Hosea. Um, that is usually uh, what the, happens with the prophet. It says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Uh, let's then look over at Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. It says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I would not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I would not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But... Let justice roll down like rivers, like waters, and righteousness like ever-flowing stream. And we will now look at our text for today, uh, Micah 6, the first eight verses. Uh, I know they've already welcomed all of our guests. We, we do welcome you as you turn to Micah 6. I uh, hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Um, and you guys look very beautiful this morning. I don't know if it's... You guys getting ready for the New Year's or what? But you look really good. Going to the New Year's looking good. I like it. Micah 6. <clears throat> Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people. And he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised? And what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered him? And what happened? From Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. If you recall, Balak hired Balaam, a false prophet, to speak a false prophecy against Israel. And when he spoke this prophecy against Israel, God turned it around and this curse that Balaam spoke of them actually became a blessing. So God is reminding them of his righteous acts. The last three verses of uh, our passage. The, the people of Israel are responding back to God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with cows a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression and the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah responds, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, 
and to walk humbly with your God. Our uh, subject for today will be the revealed resolution. Uh, that's, that's coming from Micah 6, 8. Uh, that word told, it, it could be translated, he has showed. Uh, so a better translation will probably be revealed. He has revealed to you, O oh man. So the revealed resolution. Let's pray. Father, even now, be with us. Draw us closer to you. Let us not get caught up in wanting more stuff for the next year. Let us not get caught up in all the resolutions that are forced upon us. Let us focus on the resolution you have set before us. And Father, I ask that you will humble me, allow me to decrease, that you may increase. It's in your daughter's son, Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm from a tradition where uh, we oftentimes, uh, someone comes to our church, usually on watch night, and preach a, um, a New Year's Eve sermon. And oftentimes uh, they rhyme with the year that you're going into, uh, you know, uh, a new you in 2002. You guys heard anything like that? Uh, come alive in 2005. Uh, your problems will be fixed in 2006, and uh, God is still the king in 2000, and any of the teens you want to add to it. So. Uh, and I, I preached a sermon one time, uh, and, and it actually has to do with, uh, I believe, your call to worship. And my, my sermon was simply uh, a new year with the same God. And uh Something that I want to remind you guys of before we deal with the text here is that uh, 2016, which seemed like 2015 just happened two weeks ago, but but 2016, uh, just because the number changed doesn't mean that things are going to change in your life. Uh, and one thing that we can definitely know will not change is the God that we serve, for he is immutable. That means he will never change. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. Um, you will receive new grace and new mercies when you wake up in the morning. That will happen. You will receive new forgiveness each morning you wake up. But the one thing you can rest assured will stay the same is the God that we serve. Oftentimes, uh, when it comes, we get into the time where everybody's got their New Year's resolutions and uh, the Lord's trying to get me to come up with some, and luckily I had already started working on my sermon when she asked me, so I said that God has already gave me my resolutions for next year, and that kind of ended that discussion. You can't argue with God, right? And so uh, she's going to probably pull the God card later, and I have to submit again. So, uh, But uh, people come up with all these resolutions every year, and they're the same ones. Uh, almost every website you go on and you ask for the top ten resolutions, uh, they, 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 they all look something like this. Uh, lose weight and get fit. Quit smoking. Learn something new. Eat healthier and a better diet, which oftentimes goes with the lose weight and get fit, but most health gurus let you know that uh, the most important thing would be to eat healthier because you cannot outwork a bad uh, diet. So just don't it out there. Uh, spend more time with family. Travel to new places. Be less stressed. I don't know how you do that, but 
uh, volunteer more. Everybody always decided they're going to volunteer and give more and uh, drink less. And I'm not assuming they're talking about water. So, um, But we're constantly looking for ways to change, right? Uh, we want our lives to change, but we don't want our actions and behaviors to change. Uh, Albert Einstein is credited with the saying, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So many of us won't change without changing. A guy was uh, sitting on his porch one day, and his friend came, and, and they, they was talking. And throughout the whole time he was visiting, his friend noticed that the guy's dog was on the porch just giving this awful, painful, just barking, ouch, it said ouch. Uh, and he was just constantly whining throughout the whole process of their conversation. And so he eventually asked him, what's wrong with your dog? Why is he making this noise? And the guy looked at him and said, oh, He's sitting on an old nail sticking out from the porch. And his friend said, oh, my gosh, shouldn't we get him up? Shouldn't we get him off of the nail? He said, nope. When it hurts him enough, he'll get up and sit somewhere else. How many of us need to just get up and sit somewhere else? We're, we're complaining about the situation we're in. We're complaining about the pain that we, we're having, but we're not doing anything to change it. We just think that all of a sudden, magically, things are going to change. Micah is telling the people here, the people of Israel, that they are on a collision course with judgment and punishment. And the results will be very bad if their behavior does not change. So many today need to know that if you do not make and keep a resolution very soon, Things will not get better. They will get much worse. So Micah tells us what our resolution should be uh, this coming up year and for the rest of our lives. His book is just like the rest of the prophets, right? I've dealt with the prophets probably four times uh, during my my duration here. And uh, I remind you guys each time that there's a cycle that the prophets go through uh, as they describe the people of Israel and their behavior. First, the people turn from God and to sin. Secondly, the prophet tells them to repent and God will forgive you. If you do not, you'll be punished. The people usually do not repent, so they are punished by exile or captivity most of the time. And lastly, the prophet tells them that if they repent, just repent, God will forgive them and set them free from their captors. So here... Uh, this book, the Micah, is no different. Uh, Micah is considered a minor prophet, not because he was short or because he wasn't relevant that much, but because he wrote less than, let's say, Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Uh, he didn't write as many, as many chapters. Uh, he's from an area near Judah in Philistine, uh, near Philistine. He's actually in Judah. Uh, knew Isaiah, knew Amos and Hosea. And Isaiah and his message corresponded. It was very similar. Uh, The difference was Isaiah came from very humble means. He was one of the poorer guys. And so he spoke from the viewpoint of a lowly man from a small town who constantly saw the rich take advantage and exploit the poor. And so what happened was the rich people would actually hire prophets to work for them to speak against whatever Isaiah said. Uh, yeah, I know, we, we don't see that today, do we? Micah 
is continuing his prophecies from chapter 1 to 5 of judgment. That's all you're getting is judgment. But throughout this whole process of judgment is coming, judgment is coming, he constantly gives his warning with a future hope for those that are the remnant, that is the true worshipers of Yahweh, the people that are actually doing what God tells them. They will be delivered at some point. So following the end of chapter 5, there's a restoration promise uh, for those that are the remnant, for the people that are honoring and obeying God. We get to chapter 6. And it, it really feels like, uh, if you was listening as I was reading, it feels like God decided to focus on his title as judge, doesn't it? And so what he does is he's placed Israel on trial. Israel is facing a divine lawsuit. Listen to the phrases used in the first two verses. All rise, plead your case, the indictment of the Lord, an indictment against his people. He will contend with Israel. Israel is to plead a case against the judge. How do you think this is going to work out, right? Micah 6 opens with the phrase, hear. Hear, O Israel. You see that? It's an imperative. Uh, it means it's a command. He's telling them to do this. So he tells them to hear, and he asks them to listen. Now, he's talking to a group of people that hasn't been listening to the Lord lately. And all of a sudden, he's telling them to hear. People that have only been listening to false prophets and to mute, dumb idols, he's telling them to listen, hear the words of God. Now, what's, what's funny to me, I, I was reading this uh, for class, and they are to hear what God is saying. He, he adds Yahweh's name to it. Now, we all know, or we ought to know what Yahweh is. Yahweh is God's covenant name. It's his covenant name. So he didn't say, hear what Elohim is saying. He didn't say, hear what Adonai is saying. He's saying, hear what Yahweh is saying. The moment they see this word or hear the word Yahweh, which they pronounce Adonai, they were scared to say Yahweh. The moment they saw that, though, they would immediately remember the covenant. And they should remember, we have not been faithful to it. So he tells them to hear, O Israel. And then what's the very first next thing he says to that? Arise, plead your case. So he says, hear, go ahead and talk. It's as if God is so used to them not listening, he doesn't even decide to speak first. I know you're not going to listen, so go ahead. Let me hear what you have to say. So the phrase, arise and plead your case, it sets up our courtroom atmosphere, meaning to stand up and defend yourself. This case or indictment that Israel has against God could better be translated as a complaint against God. The same word, case, or indictment that God has against his people could be better translated as a divine covenant lawsuit, which means basically Israel has no case. God has it for him. So he tells them, watch this, who, who, is, who they got to talk to? He tells them to plead their case before the mountains and the hills. Ironically, God has been speaking to people, and they have been responding like rocks. All right? And now they have to speak to rocks. And you would say, well, now they get to know how he feels, right? No, because these rocks, God's creation, is actually going to talk back. So they're in trouble. They, they have to uh, testify to these rocks because they are the third-party witness God has called upon. Now, why is this such a big deal? Can you real quick go with me to Joshua chapter 24? Joshua 24. 
We're going to look at the very end of it. So uh, Joshua 24, look at verses 25. I did not get a chance to put this part of my paper, and I regretted it. So, But he, he still passed me. Joshua 24, verse 25. Now, Joshua and them have just went through a renewal of the covenant. They've done this a couple of times in the book. And this is at the end. Joshua's getting ready to die, and they renew the covenant again with all the people, which means everybody comes out. They uh, say that we will agree to the covenant with God. And so listen to what happens. Verse 25. This is the same chapter of a couple of verses above where we get the famous uh, choose this day whom you will serve. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says this. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone, so he puts a stone here and said, This stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you if you deal falsely with your God. So the mountains that they had to testify against here in Micah, they witnessed Israel being trapped by the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. These valleys that they had to testify to heard the walls of Jericho crash to dust. The creation that has been in bondage and groaning since Adam's sin will witness to what it has seen since God said, let there be. For Israel, creation's presence alone is enough to charge them guilty, Fulfilling to honor and acknowledge God. My brothers and sisters, one day landowners will have to plead their case to their land. God will say, since you will not cry out, I will get the rocks to do it. He will say, since you will not sing to me, I will get the birds to do it. And since you will not let your light shine, I will get the sun that has been shining since I told it to in Genesis 1 to do so. Do not ever get it twisted. God does not need you to glorify him. Creation has been doing so since he said, let there be. Verse 3, God God wants to know what has he done wrong. Why are you complaining now? Why are you still displaying ungratefulness? He opens with, oh, my people. Now, look at that. He says it again in verse 5. What he says, oh, my people. It is reminiscent of Hosea chapter 1, verse 9, where the Lord tells Hosea to name his child, not my people. And in the very next verse, he says, in the land where it is said, you are not my people, it will be said, you are my people. It is reminiscent of the words of Paul when he wrote that letter to the Corinth church. And he said to the saints in Corinth, And then the rest of the letters shows that they are being anything but saints, right? God says, oh, my people. What's happening here is God is being faithful in his covenant, even when Israel is faithless. God is calling them who they are, not what they are. He calls them who he expects them to be, not what they presently are. 
oh, my people, what, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? How have I burdened you? For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. Uh, God's a rapper, and I approve that. Um, so most, of the, most of the Old Testament is, is written in, 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 in poetry and rap form or, you know, whatever. Uh, there is a wordplay between how have I wearied you or, or to make burden, how have I burdened you, and the word phrase, I have brought you up. So the word, the Hebrew word for burden is helletica. The Hebrew word for to bring up is helletica. So he says, I have not helletica you. I have helletica you. I have not brought you down. I have not wearied you. I have not burdened you. I brought you up. God is telling his people, what are you complaining about? What, have I burdened you? And if you was to read much of the prophets, they would actually tell the people of Israel, you, God has not burdened you. You have burdened yourself by going against him. So that burden that they feel, that pressure that they feel, that some of you may feel from God, that he's weighing me down, it may actually be your fault. Probably because it's not God's fault. All right. As he lists a few key moments in Israel's time, he decides, I'm going to prove that I have not burdened you. I've only brought you up. So he lists all these things that he's done. The New American Commentary says this. He demonstrates his grace, love, power, and care for his people with anticipation and high expectation that they respond with grateful love, faith, faithfulness, and obedience. Sadly, his divine acts towards them did not motivate most of Israel to reciprocate such devotion. God has been completely faithful, so Israel's case or complaint or whatever you want to call it is unjustifiable. He has set them free from Egypt. He has sent them great leaders like Moses and Aaron and Miriam and Joshua and some of the judges. To guide them, to advise them. He even turned Balaam's curse uh, through Balaam, uh, Balak. He sent his curse into a blessing. How have I burdened you? What have I done to you? God puts his righteous acts on display. And in return, Israel decides, well, we're going to put our righteous acts on display to show that you're, you're, you can't be satisfied. Now, there, there are a couple ways we can read verse 6 and 7. First, we could say that Micah theoretically is saying what Israel's response would be. But the way I like to read it is that Israel sarcastically asked God these questions. What more do you want from me? Will this do? What about this? How about I just give you my own child and my favorite arm? Would this satisfy you, God? Israel is complaining and, and feel like God just can't be satisfied to the point that they even suggest, how about we give you our child? Or we, we, we offer him up as a sacrifice. Now, we all know, even though there are some people that like to uh, challenge this, that God condemns child sacrifice. Like the only time it came close was Abraham, which we know the test. God stopped it. He was not going to allow it to happen. God condemned child sacrifice because this was a hideous practice and ritual from the pagan people. And God constantly told them, you have no part in their, in their ritual. You do not do what they do. He doesn't want a, a dead child on his behalf. 
but they offer it. How about we just give you our child? What's crazy is Israel was willing to give everything to God, even the things he condemned, except for one thing, their heart. And it's love and obedience. They, they, I'll give you anything except my obedience. I'll give you anything except faithfulness. Lord, what do you want from me? I, all right, I'll give it to you. Except my household, what, what, my house, what I do there, that's none of your business. What do you want? Uh, John Calvin said in his commentary, Alex would be so proud of me. We will constantly look for ways to please God. What Micah is doing is introducing our human way of thinking. That is our hypocrisy. Now, they, they go from small things to trying to prove that God's not going to be satisfied. So they ask this. God, how about we give you a burnt offering? That is, the, the entire animal is consumed. That's probably the, the smallest form of, uh, of worship or offering or sacrifice they can give. How, how about we give a year-old calf? The calf only had to be eight days old. But we're going to make it a year just to see if you'll actually be satisfied with it. No, that, that probably won't. So what do they say? How about we give you thousands of rams? Now, this is actually possible because when David sinned as a king, he, it is reported that he gave a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs. Solomon did something similar, but that's not going to satisfy God. How about 10,000 of rivers of oil? Better yet, I'll just give you my child. Israel is actually correct in thinking that they can't give God what, what he deserves. Uh, there's an African-American church saying that says, if I had 10,000 tongues, I still couldn't thank him enough. The problem with Israel is not the fact that they think they cannot give God enough. They're still waiting for God to give what he owes to them. It would do them wisely and you as well to observe another African-American uh, tradition saying, if God never does anything else for me, he's done enough. Israel still wants to answer their question, though. With what shall I bring to the Lord? Michael gets frustrated, and he speaks on God's behalf. God has already revealed to you what is good. He has already revealed to you what he requires of you. My brothers and sisters here at the Village Church, God is not asking for anything new. It is the same thing that he asked from the beginning. He has already revealed to you what is good. It is the same thing that he asked of Adam and Eve when he told them not to eat from the tree of knowledge. It is the same thing that he asked of Cain when he warned him that sin is crouching at your door. It is what he asked of Noah as he graced him with a message that would restore mankind. It is what he asked of Joseph as he faced betrayal and a false molestation charge. It is what he asked of Moses. As the bush was on fire but did not burn, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. It is what he asked of Saul as anger came closer to his heart than repentance. It is what he asked of David as he allowed the beauty of a woman to blind him of the epitome and creator of beauty. 
It is what he asked of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, as they were confident that the fires of this world could not burn through the protection of a holy God. He has told you, O man, what is good. It is what he asked of Daniel as he was thrown into the starving lion's den. It is what he asked of Nineveh as that great city turned from wickedness and towards worship of Yahweh. And that same requirement is for us today. He has revealed what is good. He has revealed what he requires to, to us and of us, and that is to do justice. Don't just seek it. Do justice. Love mercy. That word chesed. It, it means loyal love, faithful love. So do justice, love loyal love, and walk humbly with your God. You must live a life in the way God wants you to. Micah teaches the very truth that is found throughout the Bible in places like Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. The teachings here in Micah are the same thing that Samuel says. Does God delight in great burnt offerings and sacrifices? No. Obedience is better than sacrifice. To listen to him is better than to offer up fat realms. Micah summarizes the entire law, the entire Old Testament in verse 8. Do justice, love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. I like the way that the New International Revised Version says it. You must treat people fairly. You must love others faithfully. And you must be very careful to live the way God wants you to. Now Jesus echoes this a couple of times. First he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind, and soul. This is the great and first commandment. And a second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Jesus also said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe with all this great stuff and you neglect the weightier matters, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. Village Church, all of you here, stop sacrificing thinking that God needs your worship. God does not need your actions, your worship. He doesn't need you. A.W. Tozer said that need is a creature word. It's for you and the animals. It's not for God. Ultimately, take this home with you. God requires no works, only worship. It's not about what is in your hands. It's about what's in your heart. Your New Year resolution, it could be to lose more weight. That'd be nice, right? It could be to be healthier and to get a little bit more money, stability. That'd be nice, right? But ultimately, it doesn't matter what your New Year's resolution is if this isn't on the top of the list. Do justice. Love loyal love and love with loyal love and walk humbly with your God. Live a humble life the way God wants you to. Let's pray. Father, apart from Jesus Christ 
and the power of the Holy Spirit, we are unable 